Hey, baby, did I tell you what I did last night? What'd you do? You don't remember? Well, it uh-huh. wasn't that special. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, man. No, my new phone number. What? What do you got a new phone number for? It's so people can get a hold of us. Oh, it's not for all your girlfriends? No. Hmm. We'll have to see about that. I think that sounded convincing. <laughs> no, I got this phone number so everybody out there in foster care nation who might want to contact us can. It's an opportunity for people to be able to tell us some stories that they want us to be able to uh, put them on the air so we can hear some things. Maybe uh, whatever you guys have to throw at us, we could contact you. You could t- contact us, and it's an easy way to do it through a simple Google Voice number, and you guys can just leave me a message there, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Do you remember the number? I don't remember the number. I barely remember the number. <laughs> I remember 413. There you go. <laughs> I'm partially there. 413 Foster 3. The number was 413 Foster 3. Uh, I guess maybe I believe you. 413-367-8373. There you go. Oh, man, that hurt to remember all that. <laughs> I did not write that down, believe it or not. Yes, it is 413-FOSTER3. So if you guys have something you want to send to us, go ahead and shoot us a message over there. We'd be glad to get a hold of you. Unparalleled Studios. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is... Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we bring you the USA Ambassador Miss 2021 Jamerica Haynes Lewis. Did I get the whole thing right? Yes, you did, Jason. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We um I saw a little bit of your story online and just decided that we wanted to talk to you and get the whole story from you because, you know, that's the best way to get it, right? Yes, of course. And I was looking around and and when cuz I'm always looking for people who who have an interesting experience whether it's a kid who was or who was someone who was a kid while they were in foster care or somebody who helps kids, fosters kids, who has a story that they want to bring or a caseworker, a lawyer, whatever it is. And you jumped out at me. So I'm going to hear your story. How did you get involved in the foster care system? Thank you, Jason. At the age of five, I was placed in the foster care here in Washington state my family had experienced a number of crises that led to us being placed into the system. That included myself and a few of my siblings. And so from age five to 10, I was in one placement. And then I went to a second placement at the age of 10, which was a foster to adopt placement. And after that time period, you know, I did come back to the system, um, unfortunately, after a number of events. But my mother's rights were terminated, so I never went home. And that was really hard for me, especially with waiting so long. And when I turned 18 and was on my own, I had the opportunity to compete in pageants. And it gave me an opportunity to earn scholarship money, but also do volunteer work with young people in foster care. Like I said, with my experience, I wanted it to not be in vain and to be for good. So I felt compelled to share my story, volunteer, and 15 years later, I've remained an advocate because of. Well, that is great because, you know, one of the lessons I've learned, you know, we, we've been through our things and our fair share of stuff in life, as most people have, you know. But one of the things I've learned in life is we all end up with pain. It's, it seems that pain is mandatory, right? We all have to experience it. The thing that I learned, though, is that it is a waste of your pain if you don't learn a lesson from it and then share it with the world. Yes. And I'm so glad you're willing to come share your your problems, your experience, your life with the world. Because, I mean, people just don't understand what it's like going through the system. I don't understand what it's like going through the system because I was never in it. So for you, as at five years old, 
I mean, what was that like stepping out into a home where this isn't like what you're used to? Like, I bet you things changed around you, like the food that you eat, the neighborhood, the people, the way they act, maybe cultures and religions and, and all those things jump into flux and at five. I mean, I have a six year old and I'm going to tell you <laughs> that she laughs. We, we have a very, a very three year old, six year old. <laughs> Very <laughs> yeah. So, but but if you change the right things in his world, man, you're gonna throw his world off. I imagine it was very similar for you, having some having your whole life turned upside down like that. Yes, and forgive me, Jason. It's almost been 30 years since that time, so I don't remember the acute feelings of confusion or anything. I imagine I was scared. Obviously, you're going to a new home, but I also really took to my foster mom. And my foster dad, they were the Johnsons and they treated us like their own. And even though I worried about my biological mom, I felt very safe and loved with my new foster parents. I would say what the hardest part for me during that time was just the suspense of not knowing if I was going to go back home or not. And I do remember just this feeling of dread of that maybe not going to happen especially as more time went on and I didn't see my mom. And so when the caseworkers told us, you know, her rights had been termed, it was, um, it was hard. I wasn't surprised just because so much time had gone by, but it, I remember just feeling very, very sad and not really having a desire to connect with others. That is a feeling that I remember acutely. And I had to work really hard throughout the years to feel that sense of safety and trust in my relationships. Oh man, you touched on three really important things there. I think for, especially for, for kids of that age, that, that sense of felt safety and security, and then connecting with people and being able to have those secure attachments in the world with other people. Did, did you have to end up as you got older? Did you end up going through some sort of therapy or something, or did you end up just um, having to figure that out on your own? Well, it was a combination of things. You know, I just ended up soldiering on, um, especially when my mom lost her rights. It was just very much this feeling of it's me against the world. It's up to me to make something of myself. And, you know, I had mentioned to y'all earlier where there's life, there's hope. And I had a mentor through a neighbor named Ms. Walmack, and she gave me a little angel statue. She used to make ceramic angels. And it said on the little um, transcript, the angel was holding you know, where there's life, there's hope. And I remember just thinking, you know, I don't know what happened with my mom and my family, but I'm still here and I can do something with my life. I don't have to give in. I don't have to give up. And that really propelled me. And it was when I was in my mid twenties, I was talking to a mentor who suggested, you know, maybe you could talk to somebody about what you experienced. And for me, that was a moment of empowerment that I didn't have to carry this the story of shame and confusion and even though talking about it wouldn't change the past it would allow me at least to unload the, the burden that i was carrying of thinking that i did something wrong for this to happen to me meaning my family falling apart and that wasn't the case and i, I was very blessed to work with a therapist who specialized in foster care and adoption issues and she has been so um, such a great part of my healing process, my therapist, um, and just helping me to understand not only what happened, but helping me to look towards the future with hope and with a plan. And when I think about winning my title as the National USA Ambassador Ms., that was all part of that work, being able to look forward and go, you know, I'm not my circumstances, you know, with the right support and, and goals in my life, I can go on and do the things that I want to do. Well, you mentioned that. And either, you know, the big reason why I asked that is because mental health services are just not always. And I, nowadays, maybe differently um, in, in different in different areas, depending on where you're from. But mental health services haven't historically always been offered to youth who are going yeah. through the system. Yes, that is so true. And when I was um, transitioning from that first foster home to that second foster home, I think we were given like one counseling session and that was it. Um, and I took it upon myself to visit my school counselor and talk to them about my situation, which isn't quite the same thing as working with a dedicated therapist 
who can help with that loss because it is so ambiguous, right? Um, unfortunately, people have stereotypes of parents whose children end up in foster care. So a lot of times there isn't that community support when a parent loses their rights or if a child is left in care because the death of a parent, right? There is that loss of identity, you know, especially with girl children whose identity is their family, right? Because with women, how we identify ourselves is through our relationships. And so if you lose your family, it's like, well, whose daughter am I? Who is my family? And so it's imperative that youth in care have resources to cope with such life events like that, that happen in care. And the, the flip side of it is that if a child is in care and they are going through something like that, you know, the whole business that the state's able to identify the resources that can be used to provide counseling and working with the staff and foster families and other adults in that child's life to take them to those services so that they can get the support that they need. Well, it sounds like you stepped into one of the real basic ones that's available to all kids that a lot of kids just aren't aren't ready to, to jump into. And that's school counselors, right? I mean, it was um, Valerie Hayes that we interviewed um, sometime back. I don't know. That, yeah. that was quite a while ago. Um, but Valerie is a school counselor and her and her husband, John, um, ha are in the process of fostering to potentially adopt. I haven't talked to them in a while. Um, I don't know where they're at in that journey because I know they had they were having some difficulty with that. But that's what they've been doing with the young man for a couple of years now. But she is a school counselor. That's where she she kind of got into the whole thing at. But that's something that's available to all kids. And we don't even think about that that much. But a school counselor is definitely a place to reach. Well, I mean, I just had this conversation with our daughter like two nights ago. We were talking about school and school starting and, you know, how the counselor's there. And she's like, Mom, nobody uses the school counselor. Mm -hmm. They don't talk to her. They don't talk to them. They're like, you know, they're just adamant that they're not going to use the school counselor because they feel like the school counselor is not useful. And I think that's kind of sad that our that our kids feel that way. So, yeah, I was just talking to her about that like two days ago. Yeah. yeah, and I feel that if people had a better understanding of what talking to a counselor could do, you know, I think that would give them a better understanding, which would help them better inform their choices to seek one out. And that's what happened for me. You know, the mentor who had suggested, you know, maybe you could talk to someone and it's like, no, I don't want to live through that. Talking about it isn't going to change anything. And just by learning that, no, it's not about changing anything. It's about expressing yourself so that you can make sense of what happened, even if you don't have all the answers. But also, too, it's very healing if someone can bear witness to what you've experienced and to be able to hear it in spoken word. Oh, you know, validation. Yeah, the validation. It takes away the shame because when we don't talk about things, they remain in secret. You know, I think for some people, especially when kids lose their parents in the system because their rights are terminated, many people don't want to deal with loss. You know what I mean? If anything, we're more comfortable dealing with anger because it revolts us. It leads us to want to take action, whereas sadness causes us to pause. But it's also an opportunity to reflect. And that's what really made me like going to counseling is that, okay, I can't change anything, but it can give me a chance to reflect. It can give me a chance to mourn the loss and incorporate that into my life narrative and say, you know, I didn't cause this and it did happen, but that's not me. And I have the whole rest of my life to live and really enjoy it. And really just getting to a point of just thinking, I am worthy. I am worthy of happiness and of my life and time and that I don't have to continue to suffer. Well, you know, that's one of the great struggles I see with um, men, women, kids, um, little kids, big kids, teenagers, everybody except for little ones, super little ones, like pre-verbal ones, is that once you learn to talk pretty soon after, you begin to feel like you're not worthy. Mm. And I don't know why that is. It's something I see. It doesn't matter the culture, economic stratus. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter, you know, whether you come from a rich 
poor. Um, it doesn't matter what, you know, African-American, white, uh, Hispanic. It's across all cultures everywhere that I see. That's always a problem that people deal with. And it's something that I think kids who've, who've been through the system, especially, and specifically once they've lost that, that first family, you know, once termination of parental rights has happened, mm-hmm. that's even more so traumatic for them because they're not worthy. They come from, from people who aren't worth being able to keep their kids. And, and mm. that's the, the negative message that, that, sends, that, that resonates in their head. Yeah. And that's where having adults in that child's life who can help support that child through that time is so important. I had actually purchased a book for myself when I had started therapy and it talked about, you know, the loss of parental rights. And I was so happy and I forgive me, I don't remember the name of the book, but I was so glad that someone took the time to write a book to explain to kids about you know, a parent losing parental rights and what that meant for them. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash foster care nation. Now back to the show. And their life, right. And being able to, you know, say like, this is an event that happened in my life, but this isn't defining who I am and what my life is and what it can be. And I just really like that someone took the time to do that. And so I think it's really imperative for foster parents, other people in that young person's life to really learn about what it means for a child to have a parent who loses their rights, but to also know that that child has a life and future and that there's adults who are going to care for that child so that that child doesn't feel like they're alone in the world. Because I think that was one of the most damaging items is that no one was helping me through it. I think the adults in my life felt like, well, if we give her a new family, that will help with everything. And it's like, people aren't interchangeable. They're not replaceable. You know, I'm going to be just real. Anyone who's lost a baby, um, especially if that child, you know, was carried to term and raised, you know, if you lose a child, anyone knows you can't replace that child, no matter how many more kids you have after that. And it's very much the same concept that family members can't be replaced. It's important that the loss is mourned and talked about and that child is loved and supported. Well, I have two, uh, two questions there for you then. Mm-hmm. Who is Jamerica and how did you figure that out? Because a lot of people need to learn that, that road to understanding that. So, so who, yeah. who did you figure out you were and how did you figure out who that was? You know, it's very interesting. The only thing that I can say as far as like my own personal identity is that I saw myself as a loving person, uh, a very nurturing person. And like I said, being with my foster mom, Mrs. Johnson was a godsend because she was exactly like me and I was just like her. You know, I don't think anything happens by mistake. And so I was always... um, watching out for my little foster brothers and sisters. I was like a second mama. Um, I was very intuitive. Like if I didn't like something, I would just go do my own thing or I would go against the crowd. And so I got teased for that because I would just do what I felt was right. Um, My foster parents took my siblings and I to church and I loved church. I love the word and I love the fact that there was just so much hope. Um, when I was seven years old, I learned about the story of David, about how he had to fight the, the giant. And at times I felt like foster care was this huge giant, you know, and I didn't know how to fight it. Right. <laughs> but I knew that if I was like David and I stayed the course, all the turmoil and confusion and ridicule I felt like I faced in my life would be immaterial once I prevailed by listening and following God's will. And that's something I still believe today. Um, and so as far as, you know, moving along through the things that I had experienced, it was really my faith that grounded me and really just showed me who I was, especially when I was going through adolescence and being a young adult and wanting to fit in and just finding that, you know, I don't really fit in and that's okay. You know, 
Jason, could you repeat the second question? I want to make sure that I answer that. Well, I think it kind of did partly. At okay. least, um, mm-hmm. It is, you know, how you figured out who that was. You know, I would say just my faith, you know, really just that really gave me an outlet to express who I was. Um, I always attended youth group, Sunday school, my young adult group. I'm so active in. I served as a lay minister as a young adult program manager at my church. And that's always kind of showed me the way. Um, and, and I really feel that way that like, you know, there's a creator out there somewhere and that, you know, we're made to be loved. We're made to love, you know, we're not made to just suffer endlessly. And it's unfortunately because, you know, life can be hard. You know, you can find yourself in situations um, around certain people or habits that can really destroy you, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so I really feel like my faith has kept me safe. It's kept me alive at times when I felt like I didn't have answers from other people or I didn't know what to do. Well, to that point, um, I believe it was Dr. Marissa Pay on the show once. Um, she said, I love this line. I've quoted it many, many times since she says, pain is mandatory. Suffering is a choice. Mm. Yeah, that's what I said. But you know, you, you you also you mentioned that that story King David in there, and I just want to pull an important point out um, because King David um, he saw a gal that he wanted, and he went out and and ended up messing around with her and got her pregnant, and it wasn't his wife; it was one of his friends' wives. It was one of his generals' wives, and so he he tried to trick him into coming home and sleeping with his wife so that she wouldn't know about it, and that didn't work out so well. And so he ended up sending him off to the front lines and and, and to where he knew he'd probably end up getting killed, and he did get killed. And you look at that and you go, man, oh man, like who wants to be that guy? Until you read through the rest of the book, and and David was talked about as being a, a man after God's own heart there as well, and with all of those with all of those shortcomings all those mistakes that he made he was still worthy enough to be called a man after god's own heart so there's the the big question and that is where did you learn that you, that you were worthy that you had worth i think for me um it was a sense of pride like i'm not going to just go down like i'm not going to lay down and die just because of what i go through and i had seen people give up you know, I had seen people get stuck and it's like, you know, I don't blame them. It can be hard, especially if you don't have the resources, especially if you have unresolved trauma, it can be really hard to move forward. So I don't blame people if they get stuck. I know for myself personally, I said, I'm going to try to figure this out. <laughs> you know, I'd have those conversations with myself and it was just a sense of pride because I, I saw what happened when people gave up when they gave in, when they stopped trying, or if they didn't even try at all. And I said, you know what? I know what that's about. But if I try, if I keep going, I might get somewhere because I know what bottom looks like. But if I keep going, I might get somewhere. It might, it might not be much further where I'm at, but I at least have to try. You know, I was, I was just preparing for, for a call um, on a totally unrelated uh, deal earlier today. And, and I was listening through, I, I did some serious YouTube research to find a version of Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena speech. And are you familiar with that one? You know, I may have heard it, but it, it's not coming to oh, mind, man, that, that, that one, if anybody who hasn't heard it, you need to go sit and just put in man in the arena into YouTube and you'll find it. It's from a Teddy Roosevelt speech. Okay. And he talks about how you know, it's, it's not the critic that matters, not the one who tells, who talks about how badly you did it or, or how it could have been done better. It's the one who matters is the one who stands in the arena marred by blood and sweat and dust who, who dares greatly, who at best knows triumph. And at, at worst, you know, he's, he knows that he's fighting a losing battle, but in the end of the day, he will, he will never be one of those cold, timid souls who gets nothing done, more or less. I'm terribly paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. He does it in a more <laughs> elegant version. But, and again, you don't have Teddy Roosevelt here. You have this guy. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that, that particular part, it's speech, it was, it's one that I've ran across online probably 
I don't know, 20 years ago, like five minutes okay. after the internet was invented. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I stumbled across that one. And, and that one has always resonated with me. The value of being willing to step out and fail radically in front of whoever happens to see it and mm. realize that what matters is the fact that you're out there doing stuff. You're creating something. You're making the world a better place. And you don't care that you failed along the way. Yes, I love that, Jason, because one thing that I want all young people to know, whether they've been in foster care or not, is that they have influence. I think it's really cool to see how people are using social media to advance, you know, positive platforms, share stories that aren't told. But it's also disheartening when kids feel like they have to act a certain way or look a certain way to have influence. And that was one thing I felt at times I didn't have with people around me is that no one listens to me, right? Or if I bring up an idea, no one says, oh, that's really great, right? But come to think about it, in those times that I felt like that, I did have influence, right? You know, someone would remember a joke that I told them, or they remember a time when I picked up the phone and called them. And so it's really important that our young people know that they have influence and that we give them a chance to shine, right? you know, setting up opportunities where they can come and volunteer or just even be able to go to, you know, an after school program or a community program where they can go watch a movie, have a meal that they didn't have to pay for and just really be in community. You know, I was really fortunate to have those kinds of programs in my community where anyone could go and have fun and we were valued. And so that's something that I hope that all young people can know and realize is that you do have influence and value. You mean I don't have to have the $300 tennis shoes in order to have people uh, pay attention to me? No, no, <laughs> not at all. I've never no. spent that much money on tennis shoes. I don't think anyone should unless that's their prerogative, but you know. <laughs> I have teenagers, can you tell? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. where are they selling $300 tennis shoes for teens? Do they actually do that? I, I sound so ignorant. I just don't pay that kind of money for stuff <laughs> oh they they definitely do um my daughter has picked out a pair of shoes that she absolutely loves that is they're white and baby pink and they've got the nike check on the side and she shows me the price and it's like 279 dollars for a pair of high tops oh, and I said, um, no for 279 dollars i can buy everybody in this house a pair of shoes <laughs> and still have a little money left over to go to mcdonald's yeah we're okay. we're not, we're not okay. no <laughs> we're going over to the supermarket of shoes or something you know we we ain't buying 300 dollars tennis shoes hey there foster care nation if you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people head over to facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care uj We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. You're a teenager. Your feet are still growing, child. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, she's a great kid, good grades, you know. But yeah, no, that no i don't even own a pair of shoes that expensive i'm not gonna do that from a child yeah, yeah but but that that's a thing that, that what you mm -hmm. said rings real true because these you know you gotta have your air force ones you gotta be the the kid with the cool shoes you gotta have the right brand of clothes on you gotta have the right this or that you gotta have your hair done the right way and all these things that you have to do before you're worth enough for other people to pay attention yeah it always comes back to that worth piece and and I'm I'm still trying to figure out how you convince a teenage a teenage kid that that they have worth and value regardless of what they're wearing they they can have worth and value living on the streets the same as they can mm -hmm. living in a mansion and the difference is has nothing to do with where you live and how much money you have for sure and we have to see our youth you know when I think about the times when I was a teen like I said I I just feel so fortunate whether it was a teacher the hairstylist I had, a neighbor who would just spend time with me and listen to me talk about my world of being a teenager. And they sincerely listened, you know, and they listened more than they gave advice, you know, and they would spend time with me doing something like one neighbor lady I know, uh, Miss Karen, she's since passed away, 
she taught me how to crochet skull caps, right? And it was multifaceted. It gave me an opportunity to spend time um, with an older woman, right? I'm becoming a young woman to have that mentorship. Um, it taught me a skill and allowed me to learn how to make money because I would sew my skull caps and I would sell them to my classmates, just five bucks a piece, you know? And it also um, just made me feel special, you know? And our kids want that. They, they want to feel special. They want to feel like they're enough, right? And just having adults in my life who listen to my teenage drama and who listen to my hopes and dreams, you know, that made me feel really good, you know, and that made me feel connected and it made me feel like, okay, I don't have to go and do things I don't want to do, hang out with the wrong people or go to parts of town that I don't have any business because I feel like I'm getting that validation from the adults in my life. And there was also a local teen zone that we would do every Friday night, me and a cousin would, and they had food, they had movies, and we didn't have to pay for anything and it was safe. And so we really have to get to know our young people. We can't assume that, you know, oh, they're just gonna act like the stereotypical teenager who doesn't wanna talk to adults because they think adults are old and, and grumpy. And it's like, no, um, I've worked with young adults as a young adult and they have just as many questions as the little kids, you know? It's just gonna be different than what little kids might ask, you know? You know, I talked with Larry Hagner from the uh, from the Dad Edge podcast a while back, and one of the things that, mm -hmm. that I've heard him say actually more than once is kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And I thought yeah. that was just such a wonderful way to put it, that, that that's what matters is the mm -hmm. uh, what you're willing to spend on them in time, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yes, that time is so important. And, you know, I know it can be hard because I know for some adults, you know, maybe they had a really traumatic time as a teen. No one did that for them. And so they don't know how to do that or they're overwhelmed. You know, I, I want to acknowledge that, but I think it's not impossible, right? And that's where it, it's really important for families as a whole to really feel supported. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you've talked a little bit about the uh, USA ambassador um, miss competition that you you were in um so how did you end up in that world and what has that done for your ability to reach out and talk to kids and spread some of your message yes well i've been doing pageantry for the last 13 years and i got involved because i was looking for an opportunity to really raise my self-esteem Unfortunately, I had been scammed by a man posing as a modeling scout on my college campus. Um, he was a career criminal and I was able to go to court and testify against him. And he went away for the crimes that he had been doing. But I was just left with this feeling of, I need to really raise my self-esteem. I was interested in modeling and acting and all that good stuff. And I was like, I'm not gonna let this man take away my dreams. And so that's what led me to pageantry. And also had worked out is that I could get scholarships by competing. And so, you know, from that time on, I had judge pageants, continued to watch pageants. Um, I did a little bit of coaching, like through mock interviews. And so when I started approaching my 30s, I was like, you know, it'd be cool to do another pageant. And what made me think about it was someone had reached out to me on Facebook saying, Have you done pageants before? And I was like, oh man, I'm an old maid. No one wants to see me up on stage again. You know, I need to move on with my life. And she was like, no, they have pageants for all age divisions. So I was like, oh man, okay, I'm gonna do it. Mm -hmm. And so I came across the USA ambassador pageant through pageantplanet.com. And I reached out to them and Miss Barbara Thurston, who was the executive director, along with her daughter, Kristen, um, I interviewed with them and they appointed me my title, Ms. Evergreen State. And that allowed me to go out my community, into my community and volunteer, share my story of growing up in foster care and what we can do to best support families. And the third time I competed in the system, I won my title this past July, on my birthday, July 31st. And so it was a dream come true. Um, it was something I had worked very hard for because I had always wanted to win a national pageant. And that's the dream of a lot of contestants. Um, and so for me to do it, um, it's, it's still like a, it's still like a dream, like a fog. It's weird. It's only been a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, having a national title, it's just, 
it, it's been wonderful. And I'm still continuing to meet with young people, serving as a mentor um, and just letting them know that, you know, just because you're in foster care doesn't mean this is it. You have a whole life ahead of you. This past weekend, like I mentioned to you, I was at the Walk Me Home event and to see little new more babies to teenagers, you know, come by my booth as USA Ambassador Ms. and take photos with me and engage you know, that was really cool, you know, and, and I didn't get into details. I didn't ask anyone about their personal story, but to see kids that I've seen at other events, you know, for them to remember me, I'm like, that's really cool. So I'm, I'm having a good time. That's amazing. I assume they don't have any pageants there for faces like mine, right? <laughs> <laughs> you might just sit someone out, babe. It's, it's more than the face. It's, it's also what's in the inside. And they do pageants for men. Yes, oh man, I, I might yeah. have a whole new career ahead of me. Um, no, you wouldn't let me do pageants with our daughter. <laughs> so you don't get to do it. Oh Sorry. man. I, I, cool, th- miss. I just think I, I'm awful pretty, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always get that, that same reaction from everybody when I mention that. I don't know why though. Mm. Yeah. Amanda, you should totally do pageants with your daughter. I, there's so much fun. I've met a lot of mother daughter duos and pageantry. Yeah. <laughs> well, she there for a while. She, she sat and watched what's, what's the TV show toddlers and tiaras. I think something like that, that she watched. She has that bad habit. She'll get into a TV show and she'll just binge it and let it just play in the background. And, and we'll see every episode of, of for every season. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but anybody, if you sat and watched all of toddlers and tiaras, you will have this horrible view of pageants. You just can't help it because they, they really get, get the most interesting people to put on those shows and make you go, Oh my gosh, that's nothing good than that. That's horrible in every way possible. So, so yeah, my, my oh, response when she said that, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I ain't getting in that. Mm, no, I'm not touching that. If all pageant moms are like those crazy women, uh, uh-uh. no, no. And that's scripted television for you. Any reality TV yeah. show is scripted. I mean, not to take the fun away from anyone, but it's really, really fun. And just lifelong friendship skills that you learn, you learn how to interview, you learn how to present yourself. Um, you know, I've learned how to do runway modeling because of pageants, which was something that I always wanted to do. And so they're really life-changing. I've met some of my best friends through pageantry. It's a lot of fun. I'm certain that it really helps young women any age with self-esteem. Yeah. It helped me, you know, and it continues to help me. And just to see other contestants, especially the younger girls in my in my system and other pageants, you know, I have so many teen girls and little girls who follow me on Instagram. And, you know, we had talked earlier about how do we engage our youth? Our youth are looking for role models. They want them, you know, and they want them in people who are everyday people like them, you know, not always these big name celebrities and, you know, they have their place in society, but our youth are looking for people who are like them, you know, they really want that. There's only so many Oprahs and Beyonce's in the world and they, they have a limited scope, whether people want to believe this or not, they have a real limited scope as to who they can actually influence because they have a, mm-hmm. a little bit of influence and in a lot of lives. They don't necessarily have that ability anymore to have a whole lot of influence in a few lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, where what you're talking about comes in because you can really dive in and, and help somebody get very personally where somebody yeah. who has a, the, the, those breadth of of uh popularity like maybe oprah winfrey even if she really wants to she probably can't go go meet up with big brothers and big sisters and and take a kid out to to wendy's for lunch and and actually be able to sit there and not not be interrupted by a million people and really dive deep into a person's life and that's that's a place i think we're blessed to you know that i was that i was never a pageant queen so we can do that right I'll get you a crown, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's so important. Like, you know, and you're so right because like this past weekend, you know, I was talking to a foster parent at the walk me home event and, you know, she remembered my foster mom and come to find out she was actually mentored by my foster mom. And just hearing those personal stories means so much to me because, you know, um, my foster parents have since passed away. So that's also kind of a, inside look to my own life and the other people within it but just that influence just hearing my foster mom how she helps someone and to that person has remained a foster parent over the last 20 years 
you know, we just never know what we can do. We just have to put ourselves out there and, and just be available. Well, absolutely. I mean, all of our older children, you know, and even our teenage daughter, you know, they have full plans on adopting, you know, mm-hmm. when, when they grow up. And I, and I believe that's from our influence because they've seen it. They've helped. Yeah. With it. They've, they've lived it, you know, and so now they have, we have changed our children's lives to where they want to go out and do something bigger than themselves. And I just, I feel like that's just wonderful because yeah, that is awesome. to go out and do something bigger than themselves. And so many kids feel like they're stifled or they can't, or they're not worth yeah. it. Yeah. Not only that, but the legacy that leaves behind, you know, I say this all the time, you're going to leave a legacy. Amanda will leave a legacy. I will leave a legacy. We all will. And we get, to choose what that legacy is you don't get to choose whether you leave one or not so you know mm-hmm. what we do in our own kids will will show up in in our children's lives and so if half our kids end up you know going down a similar road you know we've fostered roughly 20 kids over the years so far and so mm-hmm. that's four kids if, if all four of those do another 20 there's there's 80 that's 100 kids lives affected by our choice and that's just in the next generation. You start extrapolating that out to our grandkids or great grandkids, and suddenly that's a lot of lives that end up affected by our singular choice. And I think that's yes. so powerful. Yes. And like I told you earlier, I know I keep saying it, Jason, being placed with the Johnsons was a godsend because it's like they influenced my life so much, even though I lived with them only for five years. And yes, I did keep in contact with them afterwards. Um, just I they gave me wings you know they they helped me you know because when I came into foster care I could barely talk you know I had to go into speech therapy I was behind you know with social delays and just they completely changed my life and you know I never got a chance and sorry try not to get emotional I never got a chance to tell them thank you um that bothers me sometimes but I knew they did what they did out of the love and goodness of their heart. And even when I came back as an older teen, you know, that's what makes me feel really good is I don't think they needed to hear me say thank you, though I wish I could have, but I'm glad that I got to live with them and spend that time with them because that was some of the best memories of my life. Well, to me, it really sounds as if maybe you did say thank you by the way you chose to live your life. Thank you. As a parent, I know that that's one of those things that you get to look at and see and and having a kid because i mean let's just be real where most of us are only one poor decision away from ending up in, in a jail cell mm-hmm. all you have to do is be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong mm-hmm. friend when the, the lights come on behind you and and that bag of something in somebody's pocket puts everybody in the car in prison and, and yeah we're, we're not, none of us are that far away from that and by making those choices that 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 says worlds of of information to us as to how we raised our kids and how the johnsons are managed to to affect your life you know just by who you turned out to be yeah for sure you know so what was it that they did in your life you know really specifically because as foster parents it's something that that i think we need to hear and i think every foster parent needs to hear what is it that made the biggest difference in your life you know how what was it they chose to do how they how they helped you make better decisions that that served your life you know we were this may sound really strange but it was really simple they were with us all the time you know we were very fortunate that my papa that's what i called my foster dad he had been retired from the military service for at least 20 years so he was at home all the time retired and then my foster mom was a homemaker that's what she did that was her calling was motherhood So they were with us all the time, you know, and we were pretty independent as kids. So they didn't do every single thing with us and with us being such age ranges, you know, from little babies to, you know, preteens and whatnot. We were always together and playing, but we did things together, like go to church. Um, We would go out and do community activities together, whether it was a picnic, Masonic brothers, you know, family gathering. Um, my foster mom would come to school. She'd come to our plays. She was part of the PTA. She was part of the foster parent association in Washington state. So we were just always together. Um, interestingly enough, my foster parents didn't really talk to me about my situation with my mom a lot. I didn't really bring it up 
Um, I tend to talk about it when the social worker came, but outside of that, it was just really spending quality time together, feeling loved, feeling like we could be ourselves and feeling accepted, you know, and, and that's always kind of interesting, right? Like, how do you do acceptance? And it's really more of a feeling than an action. Of course, there are actions that accompany the way we accept people, right? Saying hi to them, asking them how they're doing, spending time with them, but it's a feeling. And we feel that children feel if the adults in their life truly accept them for who they are and allow them to be who they are. And I feel that is something that Johnson's did. I can only imagine that that also had a lot to do with just being able to feel, to accept who you were yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Because that's yeah, I always, every yeah. child struggles with. Yeah. You know, I felt like I could be myself with the Johnson's, you know, just silly, loud and rambunctious, you know, I'm very talkative, <laughs> very inquisitive. I've always been that way since I was a child, still am. And I just always knew that was what I was going to do as an adult was I was going to be a communicator. I would tell people I'm going to be an actress. You know, that was the only word that I could come up with about what I saw myself doing. And that's exactly what I do now is I'm on stage as a motivational speaker, pageant title holder. And my foster parents, they just allowed me just to be myself you know, which was such a blessing because unfortunately I did come into contact with adults who weren't as accepting or understanding of who I was. <laughs> oh yeah. We've all come into contact with some of those folks. Um, and yeah. for the listeners, we, we just brought in a, a, an extra co-host here. So if you hear a little <laughs> extra noise, um, we got a little guy with us today who is not very content with staying in the, um, in the playpen in the other room, taking a nap. He's decided it is not going to be a napping day. No, it's not. Yeah, he wants to be a part of what y'all are doing. That's that's how they roll. Well, this this is my godson, and I'm just going to say I don't think he has very good taste in humans because he thinks I am the coolest thing on the face of the earth still, and I love it. So <laughs> you know, I'll take every second of it I can get. But yeah, he's if you could hear the the background noise, that was him making all kinds of noise in the other room. But he's out here now, so we're just going to let him roll with us. All right, good. But I'm here for it. But yeah, it's the, uh, it's that part about where we have to figure out how do we, how do we let kids know that they're worthy, that they, they're enough, that they're, they're people too, they're, they're worth, it's all those questions that I meet men still today that in part of the dad's group that, that I'm in, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's one of the struggles that, that a lot of guys when they're vulnerable and open and will tell you the truth, what they still struggle with to this day. Is, is there is there like a magic key to stepping through that that you learned or is that just go back to to that experience with your with your family that that helped you learn all of that I think for me it was I think when I was placed in the care and I was waiting for my mom and my family to you know get us back and that didn't happen to me that was like the worst thing that could have happened um, and so at that point in my life, it was just, I have nowhere to go, but, up. um, and I, and I don't know where it came from. Like if it was this fire inside of me or just, you know, a moment of truth of like, what are you going to do now? How bad do you want this? Meaning, you know, how bad do you want to feel better to do better? And it was just like, I'm going to give it all that I got. You know, and I don't know exactly what made me choose that option versus choose, I'm just gonna just do bare minimum. I'm not gonna do anything. What's the point? I don't know. All I, I mean, I do know, but a part of me is like, I could have also made that other choice. I could have also gone in the other direction. All I can just say is, is bug God. I don't know. It, it, it feels very much like a mystery because I've seen people, you know, who were in the same boat as me and they've made other choices. Uh, maybe those choices weren't available to them as well, you know, so there's also that, but I know there are times where things weren't always perfect or seemed in alignment and it could have went very differently. Oh, ab absolutely. The statistics for, for kids that age out of the system, it's not great. When you look at it, mm -hmm. it's not great. It, it's horrible you know, homelessness, drugs, mm -hmm. jail, you know, and these are our kids. These are our future. 
Yeah. Know, looks awful bleak for a lot of kids when, when they're not given a lot of those opportunities, but you know, and I don't necessarily tend to wax too awful religious on our podcast just because, mm-hmm. um, well, I, yeah, it will be a long discussion as to why I don't wax that way a whole lot, but I think you, the two words you said a minute ago explain a lot of the things in life that we just can't explain. And that is, but God, right? Yeah. You had your, you had your experience. I've had my experience. We've all had places in our life that was, that were terrible and we could have gone one way or the other. And all I can do is say, God had a plan for me that I didn't understand. And no matter what kind of stupid I tried to do or how much (laughs) I tried to mess it up, um, it seems as if his plans might be better founded in, in the future than what mine are. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your faith earlier, and that's, that's, I think, a pivotal thing for a lot of people to understand that, that maybe that's where that worth piece comes from is, is having that, that uh, foundation in, you know, not necessarily a specific religion, because, you know, sometimes that one gets a little bit tricky. And I don't, I don't step off into that too much. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's, if you can have that that foundation and realize that you were made somewhere by somebody with a plan for your life. Maybe you are worth something. Yeah. You know, I agree 100%. And I'll be honest, it wasn't always easy for me to talk about my faith, right? You know, cause it's always like, you know, I'm African-American, you know, I'm a female, I'm this, that, and a third. I just don't want to bring one more thing to my, um, to myself where someone can make fun of me. Right. So but people knew. I think that's what's always amazing, Amanda and Jason, is that people know. My husband knew when he met me. He's like, oh, you some type of Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and then as he got to know my story, he's like, it makes sense. I understand why. Yeah. You know, and having other people see that light in you and it's like, it's okay to be seen. And I think for our kids, they really struggle with being seen because when they were seen, you know, maybe they were neglected or abused. And so um, I think that's why accepting our kids, spending time with them and meeting them where they're at is so important because they have, in order to feel worthy, you have to really embrace being seen. And that's really hard for anyone. You know, I read somewhere about a quote on vulnerability and it said, vulnerability, the first thing I want to see in you and the last thing I want you to see in me. Mm. And I think as a society, we really struggle with that. I believe that is Brene Brown talking right there. Really? Was it her? I believe so. I'm almost positive. That's a, that's a Brene Brown quote. We just, um, in, in the group, I, the dad's group, we just, yeah. just did a, a, a whole unit on vulnerability. And I think that's one of the quotes that they pulled out and put in the content actually, because it's mm-hmm. true. I, you know, I, I've got all these things that, that, that I don't want you to see about me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but if I can see it in you, it means that I can I can trust you. I, I we can yeah. connect on a lot of levels, but I'm not so certain I want to show the rest of the world that. Yeah, it's so funny. My husband took me out for fish and chips yesterday, and you know everyone was out at the beach, right? We have a beach called Alki Beach here in Seattle, and people had their families, dogs, and children, and all these dogs were sniffing each other. And my husband's a huge dog person. And I said, why do they sniff each other? And he's like, that's how they get to know each other and how they find out if they're friendly or not. And I'm like, oh, I said, we kind of do the same thing. I mean, not, we don't sniff each other. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But we kind of do the same thing, that, that level of vulnerability, right? You know, we ask people about who they are, you know, who do they know, where they stay at. You know, we're looking to see if people are safe. Yeah, we're finding all those connections. And that's that's one of those things that Amanda ha- had figured out about me is that I will I will have those conversations with random strangers all the time because I found that I can I can make a connection with almost anybody if I just look for enough places to see if I can find it. And you can connect with almost anybody in this world and create an, an amazing interaction if you're willing to do that. Yeah. You know, and it does take a while to get there, you know, just and and it's hard, you know, to to really feel seen, especially if you're still trying to figure out who you are. But I think, you know, when I think back to the Johnsons, they loved us in spite of not knowing how to do that. Um, and of course, you know, people go, well, kids, you know, they're just kids. But, you know, sometimes, you know, adults, they may look for a child to love them back. And that child doesn't know how to do that. And I know that I experienced that when I lived with other foster parents 
But that was the one thing I liked about the Johnsons is that they loved and, and accepted us in spite of our ability to know how to show love back. They didn't look for that. And I think that was really essential to us feeling safe and feeling like we could love and trust them. Absolutely. Well, it sounds to me like you, you had a, a really, really good fortune in finding the Johnsons because, I mean, let's be honest, you turn on on the, the internet mm-hmm. and start searching for, for foster care stories and pretty quick you're going to get foster care stories gone wrong or problems and, and you can find a lot of horror stories. We've yes, lots of those. We've, we've interviewed some people who told some of their own horror stories about what they went through as, as a child, but there's also some Johnsons out there in the world who are taking care of kids who are, who mm-hmm. are making the real differences in lives. Because let's be honest, if you had to sit back and think for a minute, you know, where do you think you would end up if you had not ended up with them? If you had ended up in a, in a home that didn't have that kind of love and support for you? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, my experience wasn't perfect. You know, there were times where, like I said, I didn't get support, right? Or people were judgmental towards me because of the foster care label. Um, and, and that wasn't that wasn't easy. And, and then again, that's when I turned to my faith and went and said, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Um, not knowing how long it would last, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just really important to tell those stories where things do work well. Or just, you know, the story of hope, like, you know, yesterday was hell, but tomorrow's a brand new day and we're going to keep going. (laughs) Right. And like, I just love the fact that you and Amanda have this podcast to tell those stories. You know, I'm a journalist by trade. And that's one thing that I try to do with my blog post and social media post is tell people what foster care is like and just share personal stories about me because there's still a lot of work to do with sharing people about who the people are in the system or who have gone through the system. I went to a foster parent training and one of the attendees said, you don't look like someone who's been through foster care. And I remember thinking, oh Lord, we got some work to do. If people (laughs) feel that (laughs) uh, foster alumni should have a certain look about them, you know? Mm -hmm. Like they expect you to look, yeah, they expect you to look disheveled and confused. I said, I'm a woman who cares about myself. Why would I just choose to look disheveled and confused? You know what I'm saying? You know, if I remember right, I got on the Googles once and did some searches. I was curious. Um, and and foster care, you're, you're in pretty good company. Um, Marilyn Monroe was was a foster kid, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Willie Nelson, of all people. I, now, there's a guy I'd like to be able to talk to because I'm curious <laughs> if if he still remembers what that story was about for him because Willie's about as old as the hills is these days. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the list actually is pretty long and intensive and people you – you know that you've heard of that you look you go i never knew that about them but but yeah you're right the world has this idea that that you should look a specific way or or maybe have have had these hard experiences so you're not going to be the successful woman out there speaking in in public and and taking on big challenges and and that's what you are yeah you know and and it's truly one story, one person at a time. And, you know, people have to hear those stories. And, you know, there was one point in my life where I was like, you know, I'm just going to get married, have my career and just leave this all behind. And, you know, and it didn't turn out that way. And for me, it was that comment when that woman at that training said that to me. And I said, I just know, absolutely not. You know, because for a young person who does look disheveled and out of place, I want them to know that they do belong you know, that however they look, they are meant to be here and that they have a purpose, you know, because I didn't always look put together. You know, I didn't look the part. I didn't know how to, you know, be the part. But I knew that if I showed up, that's what I just needed to do was just show up, you know, and it was hard at times because people would get on me about the way I looked or acted. But I just would tell myself, okay, that happened, but I'm gonna still show up. And this is where I am today because I continue to show up. And that's so awesome. And I'm <clears throat> sorry. That's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is so that mm-hmm. people could tell their stories so that they mm-hmm. get that validation and they can get it out there and get some of the burden off of their chest. Mm-hmm. So important because until you get some of that burden off, you can't rise. Mm-hmm. So if we help someone, you know, even one person, 
I think that's what it's about. It's just helping each other, lifting each other up. Yeah. And I think that's why I really like your podcast is that you're showing that. And a lot of people think of the system as is like machine, but it's people, you know, you know, and there are people who set policies and programs, but it's really people like you and me who are doing the work on the ground, who know our children, our families best, our communities best. We know what's going on. You know, our representatives over in Congress and our state legislators, they may have an idea, but we're here on the ground day to day. And it's really up to us to make it work. Yeah, we have a framework inside of, to, you know, with within which we have to work, right? We've, and I don't <laughs> care if, if, um, you know, the best president we ever had was Trump or Biden or, or Obama or Bush or whoever it is that somebody <laughs> believes is the best president ever. It doesn't matter. We, we have a framework within to work and that's where we can make a difference. And we just have to choose to show up every day and make those differences and see if we can't make that legacy we leave behind us something amazing, regardless of what the people in charge are doing. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. It's, it's up to us. You know, absolutely. I think Mr. Scotty has something to say here. I just don't think he can quite figure out what it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> he keeps he's talking to us. I think about a piece of food is what it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> peace, peace. Yes, he's hollering at, at us over here. He wants more food, more food. He's a boy. And so we know what that's going to look like 10 years from now when he gets to be staring at the teenage years, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Eat a lot. Yeah. My husband eats a lot. Yeah. Boys and men eat a ton. That's one thing I didn't realize getting married. My husband did warn me, though. He said, I, I eat a lot of food. I said, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's typical for them. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But no, I just I wanted to really thank you for coming on and using the platform that you have to really talk about the the plight of kids in care of kids who who age out of the system and talking to people who who don't know anything about the system at all about the value of stepping into that because my god we are going to deal with these kids one way or another we're either going to help them out when they're little when they're young uh -huh. give them a place to to grow and to to uh to be able to, to flourish in their world or we're going to deal with them 10 years later 15 years later mm -hmm. in the criminal justice system when yeah. they end up in that place and we're going to pay for it then and pay for the housing and the jails and all that sort of thing uh, which where do we want to take care of the problem at do we want to deal with it today yeah. or do we want to deal with it 20 years from now yeah yeah i i agree you know and, you know, and, and like you said, it, it really starts early, you know, in, imparting that self-esteem and that self-worth and, you know, kids and, and whatnot, because, you know, those kids grow up and then they end up, you know, having families of their own and really making sure they have the skills and love and support that they need for when they start their families, you know, and I think that's how you break the cycle. You start as soon as you can. Absolutely, because we have seen generational problems in foster care. A lot of the kids that, that we have seen in care come from a family who's had a parent who was in care. So, yeah, we we're changing the world with with this idea. And, you know, I, I just love that we have somebody like you who has a has a platform and a place where people will will listen to speak to to parents, to parents of kids, to people who can't have kids, to anybody who has that pull on their life to mentor kids to help take care of kids who are in hard places and realize that that's all of our jobs mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. How, how would you have uh i assume you've got a little bit of social media stuff out there like most of us do how would people get a hold of your stuff and be able to, to check you out online yeah for sure well I imagine with this podcast, you'll have my first and last name on there, Jamerica Haynes Lewis. If people Google me, they're going to see my website for my communications consulting come up. That's cleverjam.com, uh, C-L-E-V-E-R-J-A-M.com. I'm also on Facebook as USA Ambassador Ms. That's USA Ambassador MS period. And then I'm on Instagram under Jamerica B and that's J-A-M-E-R-I-K-A underscore B. And so, yeah, I'm there and just talking about things, foster care, some of my hobbies like cooking. Um, I love arts and crafts. So, you know, that's who I am. And like I said, you know, I'm just trying to use my year as USA Ambassador Ms. 
to amplify the work that people are doing because it's just more than me. And it's many folks who are working to try to make foster care and child welfare something that's going to really help our families. And it will, I'm certain of it, especially with the passion that you have behind this project. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And we, we really do appreciate you being willing to not only share your story, but share who you want to become and how you're doing that. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jason and Amanda. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Jamerica's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes or on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always... You are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.